Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out, and then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. Hi, everyone. It's Virgie. It's been a minute, but I'm excited to share an episode of a podcast I think you'll like called Proof from our friends at America's Test Kitchen. Proof is a podcast that explores the weird and surprising and funny backstories about food. They don't give you recipes or profile celebrity chefs or interview cookbook authors. Instead, they go into the curious, unexamined corners of the food world and tell stories that change the way you think about food. This episode you're about to hear takes you on a crash course through queer theory and culture to answer the question, what is the queerest food? You'll want to stay tuned for the amazing ending. Let's listen from Proof, the search for the queerest food. It started when I read this article, America, Your Food is So Gay by John Birdsall. This is our friend Chad Shanai. He writes America's Test Kitchen Kids podcast, Mystery Recipe. Today, he's here with a very different story. Mr. Birdsall won a James Beard Award for his 2014 article, which ran in The Lucky Peach. In it, he describes how three gay men, James Beard, Richard Olney, and Craig Claiborne, were fundamental to the development of American food culture. In the intro, Mr. Birdsall describes a particularly decadent cheeseburger as unflinchingly, unapologetically, magnificently queer. But to be honest, I didn't see it. This cheeseburger, which he calls the Lou Burger, just didn't read all that queer to me. And so it got me thinking, what is the queerest food? Hey, Chad, can I just break in here? What 
What do you mean when you say queer food? Well, food is food, right? And so it isn't gay or straight or anywhere else on the queer spectrum. But when Mr. Birdsall described the burger in his article as magnificently queer, he was using it as a way of describing the queer culture of the moment. Ah, okay. So if you're trying to answer the question of what is the queerest food, there might be just a little bit of creative license going on. (laughs) Uh, More than a little bit, yes. (laughs) Putting queer culture onto a cheeseburger, it's, it's a little much. But honestly, I became obsessed. I mean, it can make some concepts that are pretty complex instantly more approachable to talk about. Also, just to say up front, I'm gay. Let me back up. Actually, hi, I'm Chad. My pronouns are he, him. I'm a cisgendered white gay man, and I'm gayer than a rainbow bagel. Which, by the way, isn't that hard because rainbow bagels aren't that gay. (laughs) Okay, well, then where do you even begin your journey to find the queerest food? First things first, I began by clarifying my terms, because words are important. The dry dictionary definition of the word queer in the way that I'm using it for this story is relating to a sexual or gender identity that does not correspond to established ideas of sexuality and gender, especially heterosexual norms. Basically, anyone who isn't cisgendered and straight. It is purposefully vague so as to be inclusive. When I use the word gay and when Mr. Birdsall does in his article, he's specifically referring to homosexual men. But being gay is just one flavor of being queer. Okay, so if pies are queer, then maybe apple pies are gay. Apple pies are pie, but not all pies are apple. Right, yes. And then sometimes you can get a scoop of ice cream on top, or whipped cream, or caramel. The possibilities are endless. And now I want apple pie with ice cream. (laughs) But I I think I follow. (laughs) Great. Yes, yes, you definitely do. So before we grab our spoons and eat this story straight from the carton, let me say this. This whole concept is a little bit silly. I get that. But I'm going to take it very seriously from here on out. So what is the queerest food? From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. Okay, Chad, I am going to hand things over to you for the rest of the episode. The control room is yours. And I'm really excited to see where this queer food question takes you. Thank you, Bridget. My name is John Birdsall, and I'm a writer in Oakland, California, and my pronouns are he, him. John has a book coming out called The Man Who Ate Too Much, The Life of James Beard, strongly recommend. In his article, America, Your Food is So Gay, John describes growing up with these neighbors, a gay couple named Pat and Lou. I had grown up with these sort of uncles, you know, I I wasn't related to them, but I called them my uncles. We grew up in a suburb of San Francisco, and so we could sort of see their back deck from our back deck, and we'd wave. Pat and Lou became fast family friends. And, like many a queer neighbor, they also became occasional babysitters. And the Lou Burger 
you know, on those nights when they babysat for us, Lou would pack these incredibly rich, uh, you know, expensive, delicious ingredients like blue cheese and Dijon mustard and caramelized onions. John goes on to describe these salty cheeseburgers that he could only eat half of before feeling sick, but he loved every bite. It was really a statement about appreciating pleasure in a way that was detached from the the kind of nutritional-minded cooking that my mother did. <laughs> you know, in a society where there were lots of rules and strictures, this burger had no rules at all. Believe me when I say I am fully on board, right? An indulgent, juicy burger just slathered in cheese and love is the sort of rebellious antithesis to the nuclear family meal that being gay in the 70s was all about. The Lou Burger was a kind of middle finger in the face of a balanced dinner, and it paved the way for today's food to be queer in all the ways that it wants to be. But it does feel just a little bit dated. So I asked John what he thought the queerest food of this moment might be. Um, wow. Wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> that is a really good question. Thank you, John. The Lou Burger was a metaphor, a rebellious and indulgent delight which expressed its joy through expensive cheese and fat. But a lot has happened since Pat and Lou were stuffing burgers full of decadence in the 1970s. And to figure out what the queerest food of today is, we need to make sure that we're all ordering off of the same menu. The changes in queer culture since 1970 have not come easily. Change happened because of generations of queer activists and leaders, specifically Black trans women and other queer Black indigenous people of color. Change happened because Stonewall was a riot. We knew it was another raid, when all of a sudden we heard a crash, and somebody threw a rock through the window. Change happened because trans women of color fought for my rights that night, and for years and years after. Women like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. Darling, I want my gay rights now. I think it's about time the gay brothers and sisters got their rights and especially the women. Change happened because artists like Keith Haring and writers like James Baldwin used their platforms to speak about issues like marriage equality years before it would finally be passed into law. You think you have the right or I have the right to tell anybody else who he or she should marry, who he or she should love? Change happened because activists like Larry Kramer spent their lives fighting as the HIV and AIDS crisis derailed a generation of queer people. Plague! We are in the middle of a fucking plague, and you behave like this. Change happened because these people and so many others fought, rioted, and legislated their way to a better world. A better world where I am alive and free to put my queer energy towards the not-at-all-silly journalistic pursuit of finding the queerest food. As one cis white raisin in a beautifully queer trail mix, I know if I'm going to tackle a question this big, I am going to need some help. Oh my God, this is so cute. So you want it in like a list form where I can just like say it to you? I started at the queer watering hole, social media. My friend Arian immediately sent me a list. Arian is queer and non-binary, uses they-them pronouns, and is an absolute delight. 
My number one all time being a black American is fried chicken. I'm talking about like seasoning and just flour and just, you know, hot fried chicken. Like it makes you have to eat it with your hands in a particular like way, like, you know, because it's just like, so it's just gay. Um, Thick boys, gay, gay, yummy, thick boys. They love mashed potatoes or French fries or some sort of like tater situation with cheese on top of it. Sis, maybe let's just put like, let's just put the potato family as like three, like, um, strawberries, always. You say the word strawberry in a sentence next to your man. Where are we at? What are we doing? You know? So this is a very, very promising start. But how am I to know when I found the answer? I needed something. Like, something like a rubric. A queer food rubric. A queer food brick. Queer food brick, trademark 2020. The first column on the queer food brick. Is this a metaphor? I think the queer food I'm looking for has some deeper symbolic meaning behind it, like the Lou Burger. And while I've never enjoyed mashed potatoes more than I do right in this very moment, I had to keep searching. With the Lou Burger in my heart, I put on my journalism hat and I hit the streets. Or I was about to, and then COVID happened, so I hit the internet, otherwise known as the land of awkward hellos. Hi. Can you hear me? I can't hear you. I'm not muted. Oh. Now. Hi. Hi. I started by asking more of my queer friends what they thought the queerest food was. I'm Kevi. My pronouns are they, them. And I identify somewhere between queer and bi. I'm Alice. My pronouns are she, her. I identify as lesbian, and we are married. Amazing. So if we are talking about queer food, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Ice coffee. Ice coffee. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty uh, immediate. Talk me through. This is not a new idea. Nancy, an amazing podcast from WNYC all about queer culture, recently had a whole thing about ice coffee and how queer it is. It's sort of hard to pin down exactly how it started, but regardless of how or when iced coffee became queer, it certainly is queer now, for many reasons. And one of them is signaling. I think queer culture is very much about the hidden signals of how to identify someone who is like you without having to say anything or risk anything. And I think Iced coffee has kind of become one of those things that's like a back pocket hanky or not wearing socks or backpacks. Or Subarus or glitter or overalls. Sorry, farmers. You can just look at someone and kind of know, oh, that person's like me. This type of signaling is so important to the queer community. There have been many times where I've walked into a bar and had no idea if any of the men in there are even attracted to my gender. Never mind little old me. Too often, it doesn't feel safe to approach someone and start flirting without some type of indication that they won't react negatively or with violence. 
There is a long tradition of these nonverbal cues, these signals like back pocket handkerchiefs, a way to recognize other queer people, iced coffee now being one of them. I think we claimed this. The gays claimed the iced coffee. You know, being someone who can drink something cold when it's really cold out, it does make you feel colder, but there's this sense of pride that, yes, I'm queer and I can do this and I can put up with it and it's not a big deal. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of choosing the temperature of my coffee. Like, we will suffer for the thing that we love. And we have. So this is not that big of a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a badge of honor. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that so hard. Let me sip my iced coffee. Cheers to our badge of honor. (laughs) Love a good queer cheers. Iced coffee certainly checks many boxes on the queer food brick. For one, the experts, a.k.a. the legendary queers over at Nancy, agree with us. It holds a metaphor for the queer experience in its signaling and in that it's all about suffering for what we love. But if we're getting technical with this, and of course we're getting technical with this, iced coffee isn't a food. One simple but fundamental column of the queer food brick. It must be food. I'll repeat that for any queers listening. Iced coffee is not a food. Please eat something for breakfast. Hello. Hi. Edward. This is Edward. His pronouns are he, him. Can we do a lightning round real quick? Yeah. Bagels. No. Bagels with lox and cream cheese. Yes. Uh, Salmon. Yes. Swimming upstream. Just watch out for the bear. Peppers. Some of them. How about like stuffed peppers with like ground beef? Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding? Honey, I'm a stuffed pepper with ground beef. What the- <laughs> we went on like this for far too long. I'll spare you. If I say what is queer food, like what jumps out at you? What comes to mind first? I feel like pasta is because pasta is like the queer experience of being closeted. Dry pasta is the person who's not comfortable to be who they are. And then you put them in hot water, AKA college or like alcohol or like whatever it may be. (laughs) And they're shown this like whole new world of like heavy cream sauces. Pasta definitely checks off some boxes on the queer food brick. The transformation of it, this slow absorption of your surroundings to really cook and become what you're meant to be, that's an A-plus metaphor if I've ever tasted one. And it definitely is a food. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's the crux of the episode. Like, maybe take what I said and work around it. The third column, then, might read... Does this describe a shared experience? Coming out is absolutely a shared queer experience. Just by living in a heteronormative world, we are very often forced to announce ourselves as queer in order to feel seen and get to live openly. But as far as food metaphors go, this slow absorbing of our comfortable hot water bath isn't quite working for me. Pasta is predictable and gradual and 
hard to mess up. It's the same every time. Boil the water. Seven to ten minutes later, you're done. Perfectly al dente. But coming out certainly isn't predictable. You know, I think about my queer siblings in the trans community. Coming out for trans people is something different entirely. It's layered and sometimes constant. For a lot of people, it's something that happens every day, at each new job, in each new relationship, and it looks different every time. So, if not pasta, where to next? One answer I seemed to get again and again was some type of baked good. Cookies, cakes, that kind of thing. It was a whole direction that I wanted to explore, and so I reached out to someone who sits right at the intersection of queer representation and baking. I'm Michael Chakraverti. My pronouns are he and him, and I identify as a gay man, a gay baker, because I was one of the contestants on the Great British Bake Off 2019. Michael was the contestant who cut his finger three times in the first five minutes of the first day. Be calm, be slow, be confident. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I just, oh my God. I've done it again. I'm so sorry. Michael again. For goodness sake, this is so stupid. Which made him instantly my favorite. One friend that I had talked to about this early on, we sort of spiraled and started talking about cooking shows and reality TV shows. Yeah, I think it's amazing, especially if you look about even 10 years ago, if you had a gay character existing on reality TV, it was a story. It was a really big deal. You'd see these gay people or these trans people or these queer people going through really challenging situations. And now we're moving into a place where we are just equal. And that sounds so simple. But especially on Bake Off, if you think about my season... Like, we were just seen as the same as everybody else. And, I mean, the very, 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 very last scene of that entire series was David kissing his partner, Nick, on the lips and giving him a hug. And for that to be one of the most watched television programmes in Britain and watched across the world as seeing as this normal thing on such a popular programme, that's incredible. And I think we Representation all- is so important because how are we supposed to feel whole? included and comfortable in our own skin until we can see people like us in the world around us. From Pat and Lou waving from their back deck to David kissing his partner on the Bake Off finale, these moments of gay men being visible are so important for people like me to feel like there's room for us. Imagine the world we could live in if queer, black, indigenous, people of color had as much opportunity for representation as I did. But I digress. We're here to talk about queer food. I mean, the first thing that pops into my mind is a rainbow cake, because obviously, <laughs> because obviously. But I got thinking a bit about that just there, where about, um, especially things like the Great British Bake Off or in America, the Great British Baking Show. It's so popular with the queer community. And I think that's probably because it's just a show about kindness overall. I think that's why it's so popular. Like it is reality TV, but it's... It's doing something domestic and everyone's being kind to each other. (laughs) And I think that's kind of lovely. And I think a lot of the queer experience is craving family and craving safe spaces and craving domesticity in a certain sort of sense. While a rainbow cake might be a bit on the nose, there's something here. There is this idea within the queer community about chosen family. 
many queer people aren't born into accepting and understanding families. And so a lot of queer people need to seek out that kindness, community, and family elsewhere. I see a lot of this idea in baking. Baking is, in many ways, an act of care. You often share what you've made with other people, right? You make batches of cookies, cupcakes by the dozen. You're not supposed to eat an entire cake by yourself, or so I'm told. Somewhere on my queer food brick, there's a line about care, about kindness, about showing each other love. But no offense to Michael, I can't possibly end the story by saying a rainbow cake is the queerest food. Queers love many things, but cliche is not one of them. And so I added love to the queer food brick, and I moved on. After the break, Chad continues on his quest to find the queerest food. Before the break, Chad had reached another dead end in his search for the queerest food. Okay, back to you, Chad. Thank you, Bridget. While I haven't yet found the perfect queer food, my queer food brick was growing. I knew this item needed to be a food, a metaphor, something for the queer experience, and something containing love. So I kept asking around. My name is Aura Wise, and I use she, her pronouns. I live in Brooklyn. I am the culinary curator for Queer Anga, a queer and trans wellness collective. And I am also a coordinator of FIG, Food Issues Group. I would say that in terms of the queerest food, I think that what that would be would be things that are hybrid, that meals and foods and ways of eating that exist between more traditional and conventional spaces. I actually just wrote a piece with my dear friend Kim Chow about aperitivo and kind of thinking about that in some ways as a queer food or a queer food ritual because it takes place in between day and night in this cuspy time. This cuspy time where aperitivo takes place fits well with what the word queer is starting to mean to me. To me, the word queer, in all of its enormity, is really celebrating this hybrid outside of more traditional and conventional spaces. I added it to the queer food brick and moved on. I'm Rapideda. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a two-spirit, renegade artist, educator, and community builder. Well, when I first read your question, like, tropical fruits came to mind because they're so, like, the outside never matches the inside, and it's always, like, a surprise on the inside. And, like, you can never imagine what it's going to taste like based on what the outside or the inside look like. And it's just like a bunch of contradictions. A bunch of contradictions. That might be exactly what never felt right about the Lou Burger. The Lou Burger was so upfront in who and what it was, indulgent. But as queer people, we often grow up putting on a mask, some sort of external guise not acknowledging who we are on the inside. In our most formative years, many of us grow appeal to disguise the fruit underneath. Pun intended. 
and even after coming out or being outed, that learned behavior is very deeply ingrained in our identities. Being queer is complicated. Well, you know, where I'm from in Brazil, there's like hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands more fruit varieties than anywhere else in the world. And so I'm always discovering new fruits, like things I've never, ever heard of. There's always something new, which feels so queer to me. And then there's some other ones that I don't even know their names that are like from the jungle and have to like know how to even eat them, how to even open them and stuff. I'd always thought that I had a pretty clear grasp on what it meant to be queer. I'd encountered just about every fruit that there could possibly be, hadn't I? Well, queerness to me is like really undefinable because it's different for every person. And I think for most people, different every day and sometimes every moment, you're constantly defining or not defining yourself for yourself. And it's like really empowering ourselves to like not be, um, what's the word, contained. There are over 300 native varieties of fruit in Brazil alone. I can name like 15 fruits total. My vision of the queer community has been the equivalent of a stop and shop produce section. But what does that mean for this story? How can I possibly figure out the queerest food when I'm just one fruit in the world's largest produce section? I can't possibly distill every experience. I suddenly feel like I'm on an episode of Nailed It. In case you don't have your ex's Netflix password anymore, Nailed It is a competition show hosted by the beautiful and talented Nicole Byer, where these amateur home bakers compete and try and recreate a gorgeously decorated cake. At this moment, reporting this queer food story, I feel like I'm on season two, episode five, where they're building these giant rattlesnake cakes. Okay, here we go. Two hours on the clock, $10,000 on the line. It's time to nail it or fail it. Don't make a snake cake. Go sliver, sliver to your ovens. It's like the clock is ticking down and I'm realizing I don't actually know how to build a snake cake. Um, come on. I'm having a hard time keeping my head erect. Keep squeezing. At this point, forget the queer food brick. Should I even be asking the question, what is the queerest food? Is this premise wrong altogether? It's like the giant head of my rattlesnake cake is falling off and I'm diving for the panic button. I need help. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I was saying hi and still muted. No, you're fine. Hi. Hi. Okay. I'm assuming you'll edit this out. You assumed wrong, Matthew. Matthew's pronouns are he and him. What comes to mind when I talk about like walking down a path of queer food? Um, the one dish that like I came up with is a dish. It's called lop. Are we called it lop? It's like this ground beef dish. It's probably what you get at a Thai restaurant that always like comes served like with lettuce. They call it lettuce wraps typically. <laughs> like as I've become more comfortable with being mixed race within the queer community and you know really cherishing my Thai identity, um, 
in Thai dishes that specifically resonate with me and kind of feel true to my um, intersectionality. Yeah. When Matthew is talking about intersectionality here, he is specifically talking about the intersection of his racial identity and sexual orientation. Our society has many categories of identities, things like sexual orientation, gender identity, race, class, nationality, and disability, to name the big ones. And all of these identities are interconnected. The beautiful buffet that is the queer community is as diverse as it is as a direct result of all of our intersectional identities. Being queer is what we have in common, but there are still so many ways we can be different. And those differences make the queer community so amazing. But where there are differences, there is often prejudice. So I'm mixed race. I am Thai and German. And that's something I've definitely struggled with, with being queer, is just like experiencing racism within the queer community and just how hard that was when, you know, you think it's a community that's going to open you with loving arms. Each of our identities comes with either privilege or disadvantage. My identities are at the intersection of so much privilege. I am gay, and that isn't always easy, but I'm also white and a cisgendered man. The intersections of some people's identities make them the target of exacerbated disadvantage or hate, which is why it is so important to say here that Black trans lives matter. For Matthew, because of intersectional identity, his queer food had to honor both his queer and Thai identities. The simple idea of just like a, a dish that reminds me of home and home is true to me. And for me, my identity is I'm queer, I'm Thai. And so it just like feels like a dish that like just feels like me in, in a dish. Mm, wrapped up in lettuce. Wrapped up in lettuce, yeah. <laughs> According to my queer food brick, trademark 2020, the queerest food has to be food. It has to be a metaphor. It has to be of or relating to the queer experience. But the queer experience is so diverse. It's so tied to personal journey and intersectional identity and uniqueness and magic that I'm beginning to realize the queerest food can't possibly exist. Maybe I can't answer the question, what is the queerest food? But I can certainly try and figure out what is mine. Maybe my headless rattlesnake cake is salvageable after all. You know what? That's a good cake. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Of course the Lou Burger wasn't the queerest food for me, I didn't grow up eating it. Maybe my queerest food was something I did grow up eating, or at least something tied to my early coming out days. Okay, so hi, Johnny Cortez. My pronouns are he, his, and I'm gay. And how do we know each other? Oh, and, and we, what should I say? We were in a relationship in... How do I word this? Um, this is very important. It's my introduction. Um, <laughs> we dated in high school. Chad and I dated in high school. Johnny was my first boyfriend. 
It was one of those high school relationships that was absolutely perfect until it stopped being absolutely perfect. But that first love is a memorable thing. Do you remember, oh gosh, do you remember where our first date was? I really don't. For some of us, at least. I tried to get him at least to think of a food that might sum up our relationship. Honestly, I can think of a specific food that reminds me of you a lot. What is that? Um, it actually reminds me of your mom a lot because she would make it for me. This is so funny. She would make it for me when I would just be like chilling at your house. I don't know where you were, but I would just be there like all the time. And she would always make me tuna fish sandwiches on some sort of like really good thick bread, but she'd use (laughs) Miracle Whip and she'd toast the bread. Oh! (laughs) What is queer about sandwiches? What's queer about sandwiches? It's kind of like a party in your mouth. Like, it's like all of the best things in life. It's like the the best, it's like the carbs, it's the cheese, it's the meat. (laughs) There is definitely something to this. A sandwich is layered with multiple different parts, all being celebrated, working together to make one solid lunchtime staple. They're complex. There's so many options and varieties. There's something here. I had one more question left to ask. Did you like my mom more than you liked me? Yeah. (laughs) 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 That's allowed. It's fair. She's great. She's great. I'm just kidding, but I do still think about your mom often. That's when it hit me. What made this sandwich so special to Johnny was the care and the love that my mom put into making it. It was a way my mom showed him that she cared about him, even when I wasn't around. Which is so sweet. It's almost my perfect queer food. There's just one little bitty issue. I just don't love sandwiches. It's picky and lame of me because this metaphor is so adorable and so perfect, but they just aren't my favorite. But in thinking about the food my family would make me growing up, I realized the perfect answer had been sitting right in front of me the whole time. My dad sent it to me on day one when I first posted this question on social media. Hello? Hello? Hi, how's it going? Good. Does it need to be FaceTime or is this good? No, this is great. Perfect, perfect. I didn't do my makeup today. Dad jokes. What's going on, Junior? Yeah, so you know that I'm working on a story um, that's trying to answer the question, what is the queerest food? Yep. I had posted this on Facebook, and you had sent in an answer. Can you tell me what that answer was? Yes, I said the Crunchwrap Supreme. Yep, the Crunchwrap Supreme. And what is a Crunchwrap Supreme for anyone who hasn't had one before? Oh, it's a little slice of half that comes out of Taco Bell. Picture a taco, a standard taco in a hard shell filled with whatever, meat, lettuce, tomato, cheese. And when you eat that, it always falls apart. So to keep it together, you place it inside the very middle of a, what's the bread? It's not fajita bread, is it? Yeah, fajita bread. A tortilla, but close enough. You put in sour cream, you put in cheese, and everything stays together. It's just wonderful. And the flavor is phenomenal. It's just wonderful. A little slice of heaven called the Crunchwrap Supreme. So what makes you think of a Crunchwrap Supreme when I talk about queer food? 
when you look at the crunch wrap, you see no crunch involved in it. So how do you call it a crunch wrap? It's just a, almost like a pocket sandwich. And when you start eating it, there's a surprise inside. It's just the oddest thing to me to go from uh, a sandwich-looking item to a taco in no time at all. I thought of the crunch wrap because you look at it and you see something. And if you like it or you don't like it, you judge it by the look, just like you would uh, homosexuality. Somebody, as you and I have been in the city before, we saw this really flamboyant gentleman walking down with a yellow tight leotard. Just the look of him, very unique, but you start judging now, and, and now there's where you're going the wrong way. So the crunch wrap looks one way on the outside, and on the inside, it's a taco, which is something everyone wants to eat. So <laughs> I guess my, my point was, judging by the looks, you, you have no idea what's inside. It's outside and interior don't always align. It's a contradiction. The outside never matches the inside, and it's always like a surprise. It looks like a pocket sandwich, as my dad so eloquently explained, with something inside that everyone wants to eat. It's a kind of like a party in your mouth. Like It's like the carbs, it's the cheese, it's the meat. It exists in this kind of in-between space. Not quite a taco, not quite a burrito, not really a sandwich. Things that are hybrid, that meals and foods and ways of eating that exist between more traditional and conventional spaces. Whether he realized it or not, my dad served me up a response that checked all the boxes. It's a food, a hybrid existing in between. It's accessible, a metaphor for my queer experience. And it is uniquely personal to me. My dad is talking about the crunch wraps that he used to make for us at home. When we first started, we used to have tacos and we liked tacos. But we stopped, as a family, you guys stopped eating them because it was such a chore. So when I saw the crunch wrap, I got excited. I wanted to make one at home. So I tried. I tried before you guys came to visit on your days to visit and the thing just kept falling apart so I didn't know how to keep it frying how to keep it together I needed to weigh it down with something and uh and as a, a, a troubleshooter I looked around and I found a really heavy candle big heavy candle so I placed the candle after cleaning it of course <laughs> on top of the crunch wrap and that kept the weight down so the entire surface got cooked well from my perspective it was this thing that I knew that I really liked. And then I had a dad who went out of his way to figure out how to make it for us. And so that was just like a really nice thing. That's how I saw it, was just like, you knew, you knew we loved it, and so you learned how to make it so that we could have it more often. That crunch wrap was a way my dad showed me what family was all about. You figure out how to give the person you love what they want, even if it means making pocket sandwiches out of fajita bread using big, heavy candles. It was a simple act of kindness through food, and it meant everything to me. I love that. That's really nice. And it was so nice to see your response. It felt really validating, and I felt really lucky to have grown up in a household where I was taught to try the Crunchwrap Supreme and not judge it based on how it looks on the outside. Well, that is a two-way learning experience because I did grow up in a small town. We had a couple of gay families but we're very sheltered and as I grew up with you I learned more and more to not think about the topic of homosexuality 
just look at that person and you love that person. And for me, it was a, a piece of cake to go through all of that. I'll be honest with you, Chad. I think you might have been six or seven when I called my brother Steve and I asked him about that. I said, how would you know? And Steve said to me, what does it matter? And I'm like, there you go. That just ends that story. So I didn't have to think after that. That was really a, a help for me. Shout out to Uncle Steve for knowing how to handle that question so long ago. It made such a difference. And I think for that reason and for a lot of other reasons, the Crunchwrap is where I'm ending the story. I think it is the queerest food that I can think of. You know, it's a very like fond, happy, loving childhood memory. Well, that's excellent. That really, uh, you know, not knowing that, that really makes me feel good. I, I do feel good about what we did as we grew together, but that's a nice little, nice little carrot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Maybe when I come visit, we can make some crunch wraps. Definitely. That sounds cool. And when you <laughs> just come, bring your baking skills. I, I saw an ice cream cookie baking show. This story was brought to us by Chad Shanai. And be sure to check out the America's Test Kitchen Kids podcast, Mystery Recipe, with your young chefs at home. Thanks to everyone that we spoke to for this great story. And if you'd like to donate to Aura Wise's group, Queer Anga, we've put a link in our show notes. And if you want to learn more about this story, then please visit our website. That's www.americastestkitchen.com slash proof. Go check it out. And if you like proof, then be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get brand new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our managing producer. Associate producer, Caroline Rickert. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Poynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production supervisor is Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Thanks to Marie Soledad for consulting on this script. Jack Bishop is Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Kohler, Oxo, Miyoko's Creamery, and The Town Dock. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 
What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.